Thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. He emphasized Jesus. And one of the leaders of the church sent this article, said the sad fact is the name of Jesus Christ has become for many people an issue of exclusion. And so he goes on, he says, using Hindu and Zen and intermingling these with a few different verses from the Bible with some contemporary music, he said, we are enabling people to discover God themselves, maybe not through Jesus, maybe through Buddha, maybe through any number of ways. Now, Many of us as, as New Testament Christians would look at that and it just kind of, it just kind of, it just, we're just like, no way. There's no way that this is right. There's no way that you can do that. You can't de emphasize Jesus within the church. And, and at first glance, it's like, we're not that way. You know, we make sure that Jesus is who is at the center of everything that we do. But the more I got to think about it, the more I thought about that story the more I wonder if we're guilty of the same thing sometimes, but maybe in a different way. Instead of calling people to faith and repentance and baptism and, and true discipleship salvation, we tell people that Jesus wants to give them a happy marriage. We tell them that Jesus wants you to have a stress-free life. We tell them that Jesus will change all of these things for the better. All You, you don't have to have Jesus as the center of everything. You just simply have to add Him to what you already do. And as we open up to our text tonight, just a few short verses, we see that much of the false teaching that's going on in Colossae had been centered around the idea of minimizing Jesus, of telling people that He was important but he wasn't necessarily essential. They had given him a place in their lives without recognizing that he demands first place, that that's what he wants from us. Jesus wants to be the prominent thing in their life and the preeminent thing in their life. So in chapter 1, from start to finish, Paul's dealing with some issues here that, that he's trying to teach against. He's trying to teach against the false teachers, who taught that God did not the create that God did not create the world because in their view the world was evil and God could not create evil. They also believed, and Paul was working up against this, believing that that matter or things, physical objects, were evil. They argued that God would not have come to earth in a human body, in a fleshly body like you and I have, because it is unholy. It is evil because it is of flesh. They did not believe that Jesus was the unique Son of God, rather one of the many intermediaries between God and His people. And so as you study Colossians, the first chapter, especially verses 15 through 23, which is what we're going to study tonight and, and next week, you will see that, that Paul is making the argument that Jesus is all of these things. He is the Son of God. He did come in the flesh, and He did create the world around us. So let's read verses 15, 16, and 17 together, and then let's kind of break down what he says. Paul writes, The Son, talking about Jesus, 
is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, if you're paying attention to this verse, and you were with us Wednesday night, whether live or, or in, uh, online, you will realize that some of the things we talk about tonight very much intertwine with the first five or six verses of the book of Hebrews. Paul is making the same argument that the Hebrew writer makes in chapter 1. Both of them are saying Jesus is better, Jesus is best, Jesus is supreme to all things. And so how does he begin his argument here? The first thing he says in, in verse 15 says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. He's basically saying he is God. Paul doesn't mince any words here. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And this idea of image conveys the meaning that it's, it's more than just words. He, he's saying that he is the representation of who God is. He symbolizes God. If you, do a, if you do a word study of the Greek here, the, the language in which Scripture was originally written, you, you, will, you will learn very quickly that the, the word for image is, is translated replica. It's translated replica. And, and then if you dig a little bit deeper, you'll see that in this culture, the idea of an image or a replica was a, came from the idea of a die that would make an exact representation of the same ornament or same piece of jewelry or just name it off. But every time you pulled it out of that, that stamp, you would have an image, you would have a replica, and they would all look the exact same. And what he's trying to say here, what he's trying to convey is that Jesus is, let's use that word, Jesus is the replica. Jesus is the image. He is God. And it's not just here that we read that in Scripture. John 1 and verse 18 says that no one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made Him known. John 14 and verse 9 says Jesus revealed this about Himself. Anyone who has seen the Father, or anyone who has seen me rather, I'm sorry, has seen the Father. Hebrews 1 and verse 3, we just mentioned this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4 also refers to Christ as the image of God. Someone has said that Jesus is God with skin on, and I believe that's a pretty good word picture. So Paul starts out here, and he says, I want you to understand above everything else that Jesus is God. And not just that He is God. The next verse, or the next phrase of this verse says that He is the firstborn over all creation. In other words, you might put it this way. He is the unique Son of God. He is the unique Son of God. Now, he uses an interesting word here. He uses the idea or the word firstborn. Now, there are some uh, religious groups out there that teach this idea that Jesus was not God to begin with. And I've even heard people within the church that adhere to this. 
they say that this is teaching that he was not God to begin with, that he was one of the first angels that was created. And he came and did all of these things. And because of the things that he did, because of the because of the death that he volunteered, because of the perfect life, and he was able to overcome all these things, because of that, when he ascended back into heaven, God says, now I'm going to make you a God. You are the firstborn. You were one of the first that was with me. You overcame all of these things. And I don't believe at all that that's what this verse is talking about. I believe that is as far from the truth. Because you see, this word firstborn is translated in other places and passages as the heir or the owner. And it's the same idea that we talked about this past Wednesday night in class, that Jesus is the heir to all things, that He is the Son of God, and He is the one that is going to take charge of everything, everything belongs to him. The idea of firstborn is not a chronological issue. It is a, what's the word maybe that I'm looking for here? It's not a chronological issue. It's a position issue. He is the firstborn. He is, he is the one that holds this position of, of receiving the inheritance above anyone and everyone else. He is the unique son of God. And then the next verse, verse 16, says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now, if you do want to carry the idea that he was just an angel that did all these things and so God gave him this position, that completely contradicts, I believe, verse 16. Because he's saying, look, he is the creator of all. I mentioned this Sunday or Wednesday night that I very much get this image that God spoke creation and Jesus made creation. God's up here telling you what to do and Jesus down here with his sleeves rolled up. He's the one getting his hands dirty. He's, he's the one helping the plants grow. He's, he, he's the one that's involved in the creation process. And the reason that he brings this up, the reason that he brings this up is because, like I said at the beginning, these people feel like, these people believe that Jesus, that, that, that creation and Jesus himself, he couldn't be man, and creation isn't good because creation is inherently evil, and God wouldn't create something inherently evil. Well, the problem with all of that is what? In creation wasn't evil. Man was evil. Man gave in to evil, and that is what stained creation. It wasn't anything that God did. But he's saying, look, he created all this stuff. You know, there are, there are times, there are times, and I know many of you have this experience in different situations, whether you're on the lake, whether you're, in, whether you're hunting, whether you're at the beach. For me, a lot of times it's when I'm mowing my yard. When you're in God's creation, you feel closer to him. When you're in God's creation, you feel closer to him. And I think that that's on purpose because you're around something that reminds you of God because God made it. God was involved in it. And, and it was put there to bring you closer to him. And he says, I want you to know that it is Jesus that made that possible. As a matter of fact, it even says, not only did Jesus make it, it says all these things were created by him 
and for him. Another translation said, for you created everything and it is for your pleasure that they exist and were created. I love that idea because we are part of creation and we were created by Jesus for his pleasure. We were created to make Jesus happy. And I hope that that's the type of life that you like to live. Let's look at the very last, the very last idea here, and then we're going to wrap this section up. Uh, because just like the first lesson in this, I've got one long lesson here, but it's it's so long. I want to chop it up into two smaller lessons so they're a little bit easier to grasp and comprehend. Verse seventeen, he says, "He is before all things, and in him all things hold together." I find comfort. And, and those type of passages, our Hebrew passage parallels that where, where he talks about he is the sustainer of life. Because, you know, as, as a country, we have faced struggles with the virus. We have, we're, we're going through that ever, never-ending cycle, it seems like, of political tension. We are we're seeing uh, elevated racial tensions within our country, and it's easy to become uneasy. It's easy to become nervous. It's easy to become stressed out about things. But this verse tells me something very important, and that is he holds all things together. He holds all things together. He is before all things. Think about that. To us, the, 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 the struggles that we face sometimes are new, but to Jesus, they're old. Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun, and Jesus very much knows that. There's nothing new under the sun. And He is before all of our struggles. He understands them. He knows them. He sees them coming. He sees us dealing with them. And He wants us to know that He is our sustainer. He is the one that we can lean into that will help us hold together. This idea of hold together means to, pre to prevent something from falling apart. And most of the time when things begin to fall apart in our life, it's because... We're trying to hold things together. We're trying to do it. And our way isn't going to always work. And we get too tired to continue to hold those things together. And they begin to slowly, one by one, just fall apart until, until they're gone. And there's no way we can keep it together. But see, if Christ is the center of all of that, those things don't fall apart. He's able to hold those things together. The creator of the world can solve your problems with your children, with your finances, with your marriage, with your relationship, with your parents, because he is before all of that. And so that is the beginning of this section. It, it, it begins to lay out this picture of Jesus as the supreme above all, the supreme above everything. And I don't know about you, but I know there's times in my life where I'm tempted to try to do it all on my own and forget that Jesus is better, that Jesus is supreme. And if that's where you are tonight, I hope that you will think differently about that. I hope that you will refocus on, on the image of the invisible God, which is Christ. And, and, and His story is painted before us in words all throughout this great book. Let's end our time together with a word of prayer. Then the lesson in the evening will be yours. God, we thank you for this passage tonight. We thank you for this picture of Jesus. We thank you for the fact that, that he holds it all together for us.
And help us to take that image of him. Help us to take that attribute and that characteristic of him tonight, God, and just lean into it and just, and just live it, God. Help us to not try to fix all of our problems on our own, but to rely on the strength of God because he is, he is you. Thank you for this time together tonight and today, God. Thank you for blessing us with these periods of worship. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. There is a God. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 10.30 a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community.